It's 7 a.m. on Sunday morning. And uh, in the Warren household, everybody knows they've got to be to church by 9.30 a.m. They know they've got to, or they got to get, they got to leave the house by 9.30 a.m. to be here by 10 a.m. But everybody in the house responds to this a little differently, right? Dad, as I mentioned, he, he gets up, he hops right up out of bed, and he heads downstairs, he does his exercises, he showers, he goes downstairs, opens up the paper, drinks a cup of coffee, and he's, he's rearing and ready to go for the day, just at peace sitting at the table early in the morning. Jack, on the other hand, the teenage son, he doesn't move. He lies in bed until the last minute. He's going to soak up every last bit of sleep he can get before he gets out of bed. When, when dad shouts upstairs for him, hey, Jack, get up. Time to get dressed. You know what Jack's response is? Anybody know? Five more minutes? Five more minutes? <laughs> Jack's sitting back here. He goes, I'll, I'll be ready when it's time, is what he says. And he kind of mumbles and rolls back over into bed. His sister Susie, though, she's already up. Soon she has her bed made and she's busy fixing her hair and putting on the outfit that she picked out the night before. That's Susie. And in the master bedroom, mom's having a tough time deciding what to wear. Add to this the fact that on Saturday, she said she she would make a nice breakfast for the family, but now she realizes she won't have time for that. She knows too that dad's downstairs sitting, waiting, probably reading his paper, probably already drinking coffee, waiting for her to come down and fix some bacon and pancakes at any moment. So she hollers down the stairs, hey, I I don't think I'm going to be able to fix breakfast this morning. Can you guys get something on your own? Then we can go out for a nice lunch after church. Will that be okay? And before she can stay for an answer, she's back to making herself look good for the morning and and look her best. Well, let's fast forward a few hours, and it's 9.35 a.m. They had to leave by what time? 9.30. Dad and Susie are already in the car, and now they've backed it out of the garage. They're halfway down the driveway. Jack yells, hey, Mom, they're in the car. We better go. He pulls on his shoes. He heads out the door. Mom's right behind him. But as soon as she gets to the car, she remembers she has to run back in the house and grab her Bible. And then she comes out, and at about 9.39, they finally pull out, and they make their way to church. Well, maybe if this was you this morning, there was a strained silence in the car on the way here. I don't know. Well, finally, though, the quiet's broken, and mom kind of reluctantly asks, she goes, is, is everything all right? After a few moments, dad says, matter-of-factly, I hate walking into church late every week. Don't you think just once we could be ready to leave on time? Once. One time. Mom responds, well, there's music at the beginning anyway, and half the rest of the church shows up late. Why should we be there early? And Susie, just very softly from the back seat, goes, but all my friends are on time. I go in late every Sunday. I'd rather not go at all than have to be late. Everybody looks at me. Finally, Jack speaks up. He says, hey, I like it just the way we're doing it. You only need to be there for the last 15 minutes anyway. Who wants to listen to that guy talk? And he says those words right as the car pulls into the parking lot. And so begins... Another Sunday morning for the Warren family. A lot of you are laughing because we see all those same personalities in our own homes, don't we? And what we're going to see this morning is that's by God's design. God gave us those personalities. 
He, he didn't just throw us together and just sit and laugh at us or try to cause problems for us. He did it because it reflects and it shows his creativity, his glory. And there's unique ways that we can learn to relate to one another as part of our shape in the way we do ministry and honor God and serve others. We're in a series right now called Discovering Your Shape. And shape is an acronym that stands for spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities. This morning we're on the P for personality. And next week we'll be on the E for experiences. And and my contention would be that each of these five things shape us uniquely, individually, into the person that God created us to be. And he intends for us to use that unique shape to bring him glory, to do ministry, to serve others, and for our joy. There should be joy in how he made us. So today we're on the P for personality, or maybe better said personal style. There's maybe a better way to think of it or temperament. But before we dive in, let me pray. And uh, then we'll, we'll get into this and try to discover a little bit more of how God has shaped us. Okay? Father, thanks for Jesus. And thanks for your grace to us through him. And uh, thank you again for your creativity in the ways that you've made us and, and shaped us. That all of us are, are unique. And um, we all have strengths. We all have weaknesses. But... But each of us are are made in your image to reflect your glory. And uh, so help us to understand our differences. Help us to understand the ways that that you've uh, given us each a different personal style and the way we go about life and interact with other people. And as we understand that, maybe, maybe more about other people than even about ourselves. It would help our relationships in our home, in our church, at our workplace. And, uh, so that we would be, be better ministers of the gospel and of your grace to people we come in contact with every day. Um, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd uh, forgive me. I thank that you do. Thank you that you do. I pray you'd fill me uh, and uh, speak to and through me as I teach. And uh, I, I pray uh, that, that this would be an encouragement to your people. And uh, Father, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before we get going, you know, spiritual gifts answer the what should I do question, right? And so do abilities for that matter. Your heart kind of answers the where should I do it. When we get to the P in personal style, personality this morning, uh, we're talking about the how. How you go about ministry. How you interact with other people. But before we get into talking about these different personality types, um, there's a few things that we need to understand, okay? A few things here on understanding personality. First off, what we're talking about this morning, and I've said it multiple times already, is we're talking about God's design. All of this is part of God's creativity, part of his design of everything and of humanity. Uh, Each personality, I would contend, uh, demonstrates an aspect of God's image, uh, of who he is. Uh, These different strengths image him in a unique way. And that's a good thing. Uh, God is amazing in the way that he has designed and created us. In fact, look at this from Psalm 139. The psalmist writes, for you, you talking to God, you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Now, how many of you, you know that, but you don't maybe say the second part. Sometimes we can get kind of negative on ourselves, right? And we go, 
And I'm so irritated you made me like this. But that, that's not true, right? God made you like that because he loves you, because of his grace to you. And a right response would be like the psalmist. So you, you've knit me together and I praise you for I am fearfully, I'm wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. He goes on in verse 15, he says, My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I'm still with you. So when we look at personality this morning, we're we're not looking at just some random thing. We're looking at God's design, his creativity, okay? And because of that, then, we're also looking at something that, that isn't an issue of right and wrong. One personality isn't right, and the other personality isn't wrong. Some of you with a certain type of personality, you're going, yes, it is. There's one that's right. You'll see that, right? There's not a right and wrong answer to this. Let me try to explain it or demonstrate it for you. First off, there's differences in perception, okay? Perceptual or perception differences. Let's, let's explore this a little bit to explain what I mean and how this isn't an issue of right or wrong. Imagine you and your friend or your spouse or whoever it is, um, you're going shopping for a new car, right? You are colorblind. You see everything in terms of black and white, shades of black and white. That's, that's how you see everything. It's just in one spectrum. It's all monochrome, right? Your friend, however, can see all the colors of the rainbow, the, the whole spectrum, and they have great, great color vision. So you go shopping for the new car, and you get there, and the, the car salesman, he directs you uh, to the red one, to the shiny candy apple red car. And you see it, and to you, it's kind of dark gray, maybe even black, but to your friend, they can see it as bright cherry. I said candy apple, didn't I? Either way, bright red. They see it as bright red. Who's right? Well, in terms of perception, you're both right. Because in terms of perception, you see it honestly as black or gray. In terms of perception, they see it honestly as red. It's not an issue of right or wrong. It's simply perception. And in this case, it's determined physiologically or physically. Let's take another one. How about this? What do you see here? What do you see? Glass of water. Now, here's, here's the responses. Some of you say... The glass is half full. Who's that? Who says the glass is half full? Who looks at it and says the glass is half empty? Who says the glass is totally full? Half air, half water. Who says, I really don't care. It's a glass of water. Who's right? Everybody is, right? It's just a matter of your perception. Do you see the glass in terms of fullness or emptiness? Or total 
everything in the glass? Or do you just see a glass of water and you could care less about the details? You know, all four of those responses are normal. All four of them are. And none of them are right or wrong. It's just an issue of perception. We'll do one more. Tell me if you see this picture. You've maybe seen this before, but just kind of a nice young woman, right? You see there? Do you see the young woman? Do you see her? And she's, she's just kind of turned to the side. She's dressed up pretty good. Let me show you a more detailed version of the same picture here. A little more detail from the artist. And you can see the woman. But what if I told you it's not a young woman, it's an old woman? Do you see the old woman? Some of you, if this is the first time you're seeing it, you may not because your initial perception is what shapes your perception. So let me try to help you. There's, see the old woman there? With her, her nose and her mouth, and she's kind of hunched over, got something over her head. Now here's the high-def one, or the, the more detailed version again. Oops, I went too far. Well, I got a little ahead of myself. In any case, <laughs> now you're curious, aren't you? Let me see if I can go back. Wait for it. Can you help me out there, Rocky? I'm getting nothing. I know, I'm sad too. It's frustrating. <laughs> so if we go forward, there we go. Now, can you see her nose and her mouth and her eye and something over her head? But at the same time, there's a younger woman. She's looking off into the distance over her shoulder. Which one's right? How many of you can still only see one? Anybody? Look harder, you'll find it. But it's an issue of perception. It's not right or wrong. Now, there's other issues here too. It's not just an issue of perception, but it's also motivation. What motivates you? Different things motivate different people. And, and, and kind of four things in this. Number one, if maybe you're a coach or a teacher or something, you know, you, I would contend you cannot motivate other people. However, everyone is motivated by something. So the only thing you can really do People get motivated for their own reasons. So the only thing you can do in trying to motivate them is try to shape an environment where they're self-motivated. I can't make you motivated to do whatever, but I can create an environment where you're motivated as part of your own personality because we're all motivated by different things. Um, th- this plays out in a lot of different ways. Uh, one, one key one maybe you've experienced is in marriage. Sometimes one partner or the other really wants the other one to change. And, and so based on their motivation, they start doing things that they think would get their partner to change. Because if somebody was nagging me, I would change. So I'm going to nag them. Or if somebody was, uh, you know, dropping hints along the way, they, I would change. I'd pick up on that. So I'm going to do that. So that but, but it doesn't work that way because maybe their motivation is different. Larry Crabb writes this. He says, during literally thousands of hours spent trying to keep couples together, it's occurred to me that once, more than once, that if husbands would more strongly involve themselves with their wives and if wives would quit trying to change their husbands, most marriages would really improve. He says a husband spending more time with his wife might be the very environment she needs to be motivated. A wife's refraining from giving the little piece of advice he so dislikes might be the very environment he needs to actually make those changes for himself. 
You, you see this in, in children and, and everything else too, but psychologists all unanimously agree that effort to change someone else's behavior consistently creates resistance and resentment. And efforts to create, whereas efforts to create the environment that makes the person want to change open up the possibility of change and growth. So there's motivational differences that are part of our personalities. It's not right or wrong. It's just, it's the way God shaped us and we're going to be motivated by different things. And finally, uh, before we get going here in the right and wrong category, we're talking about needs versus values. The thing you're going to have to be careful with here, especially depending maybe on your personality, is assigning a moral value to different types of personalities, to, to different people's styles. Let me try to explain a little, little more. Personal needs, they're basic to our existence. We have, we have physical needs like food and sleep and shelter and security. We have relational needs like desiring to be loved and belong. Um, we have spiritual needs, desire to be fulfilled and to have purpose. But values are, are the standards, moral standards that guide our life. They're not just basic to our existence. Um, they have to do with the, the beliefs that influence our choices. So when we're talking about personality and personal style this morning, we're not talking about value-based things. We're talking about need-based behavior. It, it just comes out naturally of, of who we are. So don't make a value judgment or a moral judgment about these different personalities. Because the reality is that every personality, every single one, has strengths and every single one has weaknesses. Just by the nature of the way God has created us. There's going to be things we have strengths at in relating to other people and there's going to be weaknesses we have. Again, when I say weaknesses, it's not good or bad, it's just I'm, I'm weaker in that area. And it's not always going to be as clean as we're making it out today. But hopefully painting with some broad brushes here, it'll be helpful for you. And just one more thing when we're talking about, because you will have, you'll, you'll discover some of your weaknesses in this as we, we talk about these things. But remember what, what the Lord said to Paul. He said in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, he says, But my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in what? In weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with my weaknesses. I'm content with weaknesses and also with insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So with just those kind of basic premises and understandings, Let's dive into what I would contend are kind of the four broad pieces of personality. Um, now, most of what I'm sharing with you this morning comes from a book I had to read when I was in Bible college at Moody called Understanding How Others Misunderstand You. Let me say, Understanding How Others Misunderstand You. I'll show a picture of it later. It's really helpful if this is intriguing to you. And, and, and he goes into some of the, the, the biblical rationale for some of this as well. Um, and we're going to get to that too. We're going to look at some, some, some people in scripture and maybe how their personalities unfold. But first off is you've, you've got a chart on the bottom of your handout this morning, right? And uh, it starts like this. You've got a graph. The, the, the first axis is priority. I got cut off. Not priority, but priority. And there, you, you generally, most people function in terms of two different priorities. The first one 
is an emphasis on tasks and results. Some people are just geared more towards, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the task, I'm going to get things done. Other people are more geared toward an emphasis on ideas and people. And forget the task, we'll get to that when we get to it. Let's talk, right? There, there's people or tasks. There, there's also an issue, the other axis is an issue of pace. Um, as you go up the scale, it's a little faster pace, a little quicker pace. And there's a focus on change and activity. I think some of my fonts just didn't transfer over maybe to that machine. That might be why it's not showing up right. That's quicker. And then on the bottom is a focus, focus on, on maintenance. And, and it's a slower pace, accommodation. It's just, you know, I'm just going to take my time whenever. We'll get there. It'll be all right. We're just going to make sure we all get there. We're all going to go to, you know. And the other side's like, let's go. Come on. Hurry up to the, on the extreme ends. Now, in these four categories then, uh, or in this grid, you, you're, you're left with four broad categories. You've got each of these four quadrants. Again, these are really broad brushes, but you have likely one of these four is your dominant style, your dominant personality style. And the first one, focus on change and activity, emphasis on tasks. Uh, this is, uh, hmm, that's not, not showing up, is it, because of the font. Is dominance. So D equals, it's a mystery on the screen, but it's dominance on your paper. Dominance is the word you want to write down. Um, th- this is the, the personality style or the dimension of dominance. Um, we'll talk more about this later, but it's, it's focused on authority and action. And, and high Ds are, are usually directors, organizers, motivators, pioneers. They prefer, they prefer being in control and getting results because they're driven by moving fast and they're driven by the task, right? The next one to the right is influencing. The I is influencing, okay? Influencing. Now, you notice I threw up some other uh, words underneath there. Some of you maybe have, have looked at other personality styles. This is called a DISC profile. Uh, some of you have looked at some where they use Greek words like choleric or sanguine. And I've tried to, to put those in those same categories. They're not totally the same, but, but similar. So you can, if you have some experience with this, you can kind of categorize things. Some of you, I know uh, years ago, I've heard some of you talk about it, but uh, taught through the different personality styles in terms of animals. So the D dominance, there's your lion, okay? If you remember some of those things, if, if you're the otter, you're an I. You're influencing is your personality style. The, the, it's influencing of others. Um, th- these people like to shape the environment by bringing others into alliance and accomplish results. They're often affiliators, they're persuaders, they're encouragers, they're negotiators. We'll get more into them in a little while. As we move down the grid around clockwise, we come to the S. The S is for steadiness. Steadiness. These people are steady. The phlegmatic or the golden retriever. And in terms of being steady, they're the persister. They're the investigator. They're the advisor. They're the strategist. They're, they're still focused on people, but maybe not as many people as a high I. And, and they just take a slower pace. These are the easygoing people, right, for the most part, is down in that S. And they're very steady. They're very persistent. It's hard to shake somebody with, who's a really high S. 
And moving around, completing the grid is the C. And the C stands for compliance or melancholy or, or the beaver. Compliance, persons who manifest high C traits, they're driven by quality control. They usually prefer structure and order. A lot of accountants are high Cs, not always, but a lot of them are. They're perfectionists, they're analysts, they're cooperators, they're adapters. Now again, we're painting with pretty broad brushes here, right? But let's try to unpack it a little more. Flip to the next page and we have a chart here in terms of understanding differences in expectations. Somebody who's, we're going to go backwards, back around the chart and start with the C. Somebody who is a a high C, the compliance personality, okay? These people have really high expectations of themselves and really high expectations of other people. High expectations of themselves and of other people. They're, They're the perfectionists, right? Oftentimes their expectations if they're really, really high C, can be off the charts so far that nobody can attain them and they can't attain them. And the thing with somebody who has really high expectations for themselves in this way, and they're a high C in this way, is when they get down, they spiral down. And they need an encourager. So this first one in in that chart is the high C. The next one we see, these, these people have high expectations of others, but maybe a little lower expectations of themselves. Actually, I've got this one wrong. So this is, I've got this backwards for you. So, wait. No, I don't. I got it right. I'm looking at it backwards. High expectations of themselves, low expectations of others is a high S, the steadiness personality. They expect a lot of themselves, generally speaking, but their expectations of other people can be pretty passive and sometimes really irritating to a high C because they have high expectations of other people. Why do you let them get away with that? Well, they're interested in keeping the peace. They're steady. Uh, moving around again, then we come to the high I. They have pretty low expectations of themselves and low expectations of other people. The influencers do. They're just interested in bringing everybody to the party. Right? And if it changes on the fly, if I've got to change my expectations for what's going on here of myself or for other people, that's okay. It's going to be fun. Let's go. That's, that's generally a high I personality. And then finally you have the high D. And, and these people, the, the, the dominance personality, the, the driven people, they have high expectations of everybody else, but not so high expectations of themselves. And what can happen with these people, maybe you've had a boss like this, where they have really high expectations of you, but as soon as it comes to meet them, and they've got something else going on? Well, I'll get to that. And I got something to do. I'll be back. And they drive everybody crazy sometimes because they don't always hold themselves to as high of a standard because they're just interested in getting the task done. They're not as interested in the, maybe the relational skills with other people. Are any of those right or wrong? Just strictly on personality? No, it's just the way God shaped us. Now, how about people in the Bible that maybe demonstrate this a little bit? By the way, I said that we're painting with four broad brushes, right? Those four quadrants. If you really get into this and really want to read it and study it, there's actually, it breaks out in like 16 or 20 different personality styles, like a Myers-Briggs sort of thing, even within the disc profile. And so these are just the, the dominant, the main part of it. So let's look at the high D. Here's who I would argue in scripture is a high D up in the top left. And that would be Paul. 
Paul. The Apostle Paul, I would argue, is probably a high D. Remember, this person has an ability to pick out the flaw in a position or a philosophy. They can change it. They, they give new level of meaning, understanding. They're driven. I think he's probably a D, and his secondary is probably a C. He's on this side of the scale, task and results driven. And I, I think God probably used Paul's profile to communicate the gospel of grace in a way that, that people needed to hear it at that time. The first century Jewish church, they had difficulty separating themselves from the burden of the law as it related to salvation, right? They're under the burden of the law. And this whole, what's this? What, these Christians, these followers of Jesus, the people of the way, what are they talking about? It's, it's the law. They, got to, they needed somebody like Paul who was driven and who was a persuader and, and those sorts of things with that personality to break through. And this concept of by grace through Jesus, it, it just required total breakthrough thinking. Well, Paul, the high D, he clearly saw the problem. And, and he confronted a guy named Peter when they were in Antioch with these words. He, he says, we who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too, we've put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. In the letter to the Galatians, Paul recorded this position and he inspired Martin Luther centuries later. Paul was incredibly driven, and I think without him, the church may not have been planted, right? Without, without the personality he had, excuse me, God uniquely shaped him for the task he had given him. I would contend he's done the same for you. He's given you a unique personality to bring him glory, to, to bring good to other people, and to bring joy for yourself. Now, there's a negative tendency here because they can be extremely critical, condescending sometimes towards others if they don't measure up to, the, to their standards. Barnabas, when he decided to take John Mark on the second missionary journey, Paul wouldn't hear of it because Mark had deserted him. Paul, Paul just became, he's like, no, no. He, remember, he's tasked, he's results-driven. Mark deserted us. Forget that. Mark's staying home. Uh-uh, not on my boat. Ain't happening. And they split up, right? But that really didn't bother Paul, probably. Because if I'm right about his personality, he wasn't too concerned with what people thought of him. If Paul had been a high I or a high S, that would have been a real struggle for him. It would have been, okay, I suppose, Mark, you can come. How about a high I? I would contend the high I is probably Peter. Peter is probably a high I. He's probably an ID, a persuader. The gift of this pattern is to communicate with illustrations, pictures, stories, so that a group of people can personally relate to whatever the persuader is selling. They also have the gift of bringing a group to the point of making a decision based on information that the persuaders presented. They kind of have closing skills sometimes, depending on their unique shape. In Acts chapter 3, we see Peter using his verbal skills to communicate the connection between the healing of a lame man... Jesus, the Messiah of the Jews, and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the Jewish crowd understood his message. F furthermore, you see Peter just, he loves people. When, when uh, I think he probably has a lot of D in him too, because remember when they're in the garden and, and Jesus says, you know, I'm going to be alone. And he's like, 
I'm paraphrasing here. Peter, what's Peter say? Never. No way. I'll go with you to the end. I'm, I'm with you. He's, he's got that people focus, that relationship focus, right? But it, but it breaks down. He, he overcommits. That can be a, a downside, a negative tendency of, of this personality style is they can tend to overcommit as Peter did. Well, moving around the circle again here, we get to the quadrant, the S, the steadiness quadrant. And I believe this is Abraham. Uh, the, the primary characteristic, or one of them here anyway, is that they, they tend to keep peace, maintain harmony, even if it means um, taking less for themselves. This style are usually good listeners. They make good teachers because they, they mix empathy and concern with the capacity for information and instruction. And Abraham had all these characteristics. When, when, when herdsmen of Lot and Abraham began to quarrel, it was Abraham who suggested... Remember, high expectations for himself, low for others. It was Abraham who suggested that he and Lot separate in order to maintain peace. And then, again, high expectations of himself, low for others. He's, he's, he cares about it. He says, why don't you take the first choice, Lot? He gives Lot the first choice. Later, Genesis 24. Abraham instructed his servant in the procedure he should follow in finding a wife for Isaac. Understanding the servant's concerns about the uncertainty of completing the mission, Abraham clarified his role and assured him that the issue of acceptance was in the hands of the Lord. Now, the negative side of this profile is that those who have it are likely to want to keep the peace at any cost. You see this in Abraham too, right? What happens when he gets to Egypt with his wife, Sarah? What's he say? He didn't want to come into conflict, right? He just said, oh, don't, no, that, that's just my sister, not my wife. It's my sister. Later, when, when, when Sarah offers an alternative to, to having a child, and she says, here, you know, sleep with Hagar, have our maids her, and we'll have, God will give us a promise through him. Instead of standing up, Abraham, again, okay. I think that's part of his personality. Now, is there sin there? Yeah, clearly, right? But because he didn't address maybe the weaknesses in his personality, he was more susceptible to that sin. Moses is a high C. Moses is the high C. Um, when we complete this profile, persons with this one, they're characterized by meticulous attention to details. We saw that last week, right? Who, who did God give all these details to about the tabernacle? A high C in Moses, who is, who is meticulous about details. They have a strong concern for quality control and the maintenance of standards. This pattern is unique in its ability to work alone for long periods of time and still enjoy it. How long was Moses on the mountain? By himself? 40 days. That was just the first time. He goes back again for another 40 days. He, uh, who else would God entrust that to but maybe somebody with that type of personality? Later in Exodus 32, Moses would confront the Hebrew people when they strayed from the teachings of the law, high expectations for himself and others. He comes down and sees everybody screwing up. And what's he do? He throws the tablets and breaks them and grinds up the calf and part of his personality. Well, there, there's others I think we could get into, a lot of other examples of people from Scripture. And if you're interested in that book, let me know and I'll, I'll direct you towards it. 
Um, that has a lot. There's other places you can find that too. I think Jonah would probably be a high C for another example. Uh, Jonah, you know, he comes back, he's got high expectations. This, this results in how we relate to God too. You see it in Jonah. He has high expectations. And so when he comes and he preaches to Nineveh, finally, after getting spit out of the fish, he, he preaches to Nineveh and he gets upset with God. Why? Because God didn't do what he told him he was going to do. He relented and he goes, I knew that's what you'd do. I knew that's what you'd do, God. I knew you'd be kind to them. I knew if they repent, that's why I didn't want to preach to them. I want justice, right? I think that's likely. Maybe that comes out of his personality, even the way he relates to God. So let's dig a little further into these different personality styles. And um, again, you have one of these that's a high one for you. And I'll show you a tool you can use as you leave this morning to help discover that for yourself. But first, let's go through them. First off, we have the high D, the dominance style. Understanding the dominance style. Again, I'm, just so you know, there's other people, maybe even including you. You're, you're way more educated and knowledgeable about this stuff than me. So if, if you are, come tell me afterwards and help me out if I'm messing some stuff up. But I, I want this to be a help to you so that you understand how God has made you in the ways that you relate to other people, in the ways you relate to God, in the ways you do ministry, right? So first off, the dominant style. We all have different motivations. First off, in the dominant style, your basic motivation, if this is you, is you're motivated by results and change, That right? That's the, the top of that that grid, that axis pointing up on your first page. The best environment for you, if you're a high D, your dominant style, you like continual challenges and you like freedom to act. You like your independence and you like variety. Maybe not spending your, your time on one thing for too long, but just getting it done and moving on. You, you tend to accept what's difficult, but you reject people who do nothing. You reject inaction. You got to keep moving. Quicker pace, right? Keep moving. You have some major strengths. Remember, every personality has major strengths and weaknesses. Here's how they kind of correlate to one another. Uh, Your strengths is you're good at getting things done. But sometimes in getting things done, you leave people behind. And you can be insensitive to people. You can be really decisive. You can make a decision like that, but... Sometimes your decisiveness and desire to keep things moving means you're impatient and you don't have all the facts before you make a decision. You're persistent, which is a good thing. You need people who are persistent, right? But you can be so persistent, you're inflexible and you only see it your way. So let's try to get into the mind of somebody who's maybe a high D. Here's a few statements. Oh, under stress, by the way, you're, you're probably autocratic. You just, when you're under stress, it's like, fine, I'm going to make the decision and we're going with it. I, I don't care. I don't, I don't care what happens in the wake of it. Under tension, under stress, that's what happens. A um, couple of the things, you, you would benefit from listening a little more. That'd help you if you're a high D. Just listen a little more. Now, here's a few statements trying to get into the mind of a high D. My ideal world is where I have control. I'm a high D. My ideal world is where I have control, right? I want to do it. You're like Frank Sinatra. You want to do it your way. 
I want it my way. Right? Here's another statement that might reflect your personality. I like to change things. If it isn't broke, break it. I want to change things. I want to keep moving forward. Enough standing still. And maybe your greatest fear is of just losing control or losing a challenge. These people tend to be pretty competitive too. So if you live with a high D, but you're not a high D, how do you relate to them? Well, in terms of communication, let's put all these in. I put them in the wrong way. Communicating, their tendency is one way. They're not great listeners. So if you live with a high D, it might be totally against your nature, against your personality, but the more direct you are with them, the more helpful it's going to be. Just be, be direct to the point. Their decision-making tends to be impulsive. So, you know, they can make quick decisions without all the details. So pepper them with details. Get them the, and the pertinent details, right? But get them the details so they can make a good decision. Their use of time is emphasis on the now. In our story, who do you think of the family? Who do you think the high D was? It was likely Jack. He's emphasizing the now. He's just, I'll get there when it's time. Low expectations of himself. It's okay if we're late. It's okay. We're going to be all right. It's what I want to do. It's my way, right? So, so the emphasis on the now, be efficient with them. Emotionally, they tend to be a little detached, so don't dig or you'll push them further away. Take it in bits and pieces. They'll start to open up as they trust you. Socially, they're selective, so you just need to draw them out. Now, again, those are broad brushes, but let's move on around the grid to the eye, the influencing style. The basic motivation of, of, of a person with this style is recognition or approval. The world is a stage and you're their audience, right? That's high eye. They need recognition. They need approval. Their best environment is one where it's a friendly atmosphere, freedom from control and details. Who needs details? They're about people. They want the opportunity to influence others, to interact with others. They accept involvement with others. If you want somebody on your team to be a great team player, maybe not get everything done, but bring the team together, high eye, find them. Because they reject isolation too. They don't want to be alone. That's like death to them, is being by themselves. Major strengths, they tend to be optimistic, but in their optimism, they can oversell. They're personable, but sometimes their personality can make them be a little manipulative. They can be really enthusiastic, but then they don't follow through. Do you know any high eyes? You have some younger ones running around in your family, mom and dad? Under, under stress, when they get under stress, they tend to attack. That's just their, that's their stress reaction is to attack sometimes. And they would really benefit just from pausing and slowing down. Here's a few statements that characterize a high eye, the influencing style is, my ideal world is where I have fun. That's a high eye. I want to do it the exciting way. 
the exciting way. And let's, let's go fast, too. Uh, I like to dream things. If you're a high-high, you may like to dream. My greatest fear is losing face or social approval. Now, maybe you live with a high-eye, but you're not a high-eye. How do you relate to them? How do you relate to them? Some different relational areas, some of their tendencies. They te- their communicating, again, is also tends to be very one way. But it's more enthusiastic. And, and there's more of it than there is with a high-D. So they need an audience. Be their audience. Listen. Just put the quarter in the machine, turn the crank, and enjoy the show. That's the way to live with a high eye in some ways, right? Decision-making, they're intuitive, but they need somebody, they're they're relational, highly relational. So they they need somebody to just bounce ideas off of. For their use of time, they're always looking ahead. They're always looking to the future. They need somebody to dream with them. If, If you live with a high eye and you're not a high eye and they like to dream about the future... Don't shut them down. Just dream with them. Because guess what? Tomorrow, it'll be a different dream. It's not worth fighting over. Emotionally, they tend to be very high and low. So just some flexibility. Again, their highs are higher. Their lows are lower. Wait a day. It'll likely be better. Socially, they gather people. They like access to people. If you've got somebody in your address book on your phone who sends a ton of group text messages, they might be a high eye. They just love people. All right, let's move around again now to the high S, to the steadiness style. Their basic motivation is on relationships and appreciation. They, they want to be appreciated. They go slower. They're accommodating maintenance and And they love people, so they like recognition and appreciation. Their best environment requires specialization. They they want to work with a group. But if that group has too many high eyes, it might be a disaster for them, trying to go that fast a pace, right? They they want to be things that are consistent and predictable. They accept friendship, but they reject conflict. Conflict is just anathema to them. Their major strength is that they're, con- they're, they're, con- they're supportive, but their weakness along the same thing taken to an extreme is they can just conform. They're agreeable, right? But, but they can be retiring. They can just be like, okay, I, I give up. That's fine. I, I'm just going to check out now. Uh, they're very loyal. And the problem with their loyalty, though, is sometimes it's loyalty to a fault where they miss out on opportunities. Under, under stress, they acquiesce. So if you're a high S and you're faced with a lot of stress, you need to be careful not to let people walk all over you because that's just going to be the natural, okay, I give up. <laughs> Fine, that's okay. High standard for myself, but not for others. It's okay. They'd benefit maybe from initiating a little more. Take the bull by the horn sort of thing, right? Overcome some of those weaknesses. Let's get into the mind of a high S, of somebody with the steadiness style. Their ideal world is where, where I have peace. I want to do it the easy way. Easy way, no conflict. Easy way. I like to sit back and watch things. 
I like to watch how this is going to play out and maybe then make a decision. My greatest fear is losing a relationship or stability. Are you a high S? If not, maybe again, you live with one. Maybe you live with one. How do you relate to them if that's not you? Maybe these would be helpful. In terms of communicating, their tendency is they're very good listeners. So one of the things that they need and they love relationship is they need somebody who just communicates with them, who talks to them. They need somebody to be open with them, to, to really tell them what they're thinking. And maybe not in a confrontational way, but just in a, just to be open with them because they're good listeners and they like that interaction. They want, their decision-making, though, is more reluctant. It might drive you crazy. Make a decision. Come on. Right? But they're more relational, so just have some patience. Help them make a decision. Using time, their emphasis is on the now, right? They're unhurried. If you get them in a hurry, it's not helpful. Emotionally, they're very warm, so they, they, they do best with warm people. They're relation builders. They're good with more time with fewer people. They're going to have some, they're going to have friends, but their friendships are going to be deep. They're going to have a handful and they're, you know, talking about the Lego analogy. You got so many pieces on the Lego. They're like the four brick Lego, but those are, man, they're stuck. They're good, tight relationships usually. All right, let's complete the circle here. Complete the grid. Understanding the compliance style. The compliance style, their basic motivation is to be right. They want to be right. They like quality. Quality, man. Quality over quantity. Just get it right. Their best environment is one that's clearly defined. They like precision. That that just, it provides reassurance to them. Things are going to change. We're going to be all right. Here we go. That's how God shaped them. There's nothing wrong with that. They accept methods. They reject a lack of quality. These people love procedures as a general rule. And they like it done according to that procedure. And if you're going to do it different, then let's come up with another way to do it. Just let me know ahead of time. Their major strengths are that they are orderly. See, see you can see the church needs people like this, right? God's people need people like this to help them. But sometimes they can be picky and too critical. They're really thorough, but sometimes their detail is over the top. Who cares? They're analytical, but their, their analyticalness, can, they can be way too cautious. They need to take some risks. Um, under stress, they avoid people. And they criticize. Somebody avoiding you? Is a high C avoiding you? What'd you do? <laughs> What'd you do? They're, they're maybe avoiding you because they, they don't know what to do with you right now. They would benefit from just declaring maybe sometimes how they feel. Let's get in the mind of somebody with a compliance style. My ideal world is one... Where I have perfection, not control. Control is not enough. I want perfection. 
the high C. I, I want to do it the right way. I want to do it the right way. I like to research things. Maybe that's a strong word. Maybe research kind of rubs the wrong way for you, but they like to investigate things. They like to know the details. Uh, you go on vacation, the high sea plans it all out way ahead of time, right? They know all the stops and the rest stops and how long it's going to take to get to the next one and which one has Diet Coke and which one only has bathrooms. Their greatest fear is to be wrong or wrongly criticized. Their greatest fear is probably to be wrong or wrongly criticized. So you live with a high C. How do you relate to them if you're not one? Or maybe you are one. How do you relate to people like you? In terms of communication, they're good listeners. But they're not as people-focused, so they, more than an S, they value critique. They value someone just gently, kindly, being honest with them, critiquing them. Um, Don't go overboard, though. They don't want to be wrongly criticized. Just they want to be kept in check. They want to be right. Decision-making, they're reluctant. They're researchers, so they need reassurance. They need somebody to, yeah, that's right. No, I think that's right. Talk it through with them. Give them more details. Give them more facts. Using time, their their emphasis is on the past. You know, you, you ever see like some of the financial... Um, financial advertisements, they say past performance is not a guarantee of future results. A high C would say past performance shows me exactly what's happening in the future. <laughs> Their emphasis is on the past. So, so be thorough with them. They need somebody to be thorough. Don't cut corners. Emotionally, they're an evaluator. So they need to be safe in evaluating. Socially, they're a little hesitant. So help them feel accepted. If you want to convince somebody who's a high C, answer the how question. If you want to disagree with them, disagree with facts. Now, you'll notice on the back of your insert this morning, on the very back above the prayer guide, there's some things you can do to maybe make change or address some of your own weaknesses, depending on your style. Um, And before we close here, we have these for you as you leave this morning. This is the 50-cent version of a personality-style profile, okay? So so this is not super scientific. This is what we could afford. So (laughs) this is for you. So so when you leave, here's what it, here's what it is. You can grab one, or you can get online, and you can you can take it online at wabasibible.com/shape. If you do it online, it'll take a little bit. We'll get your results back to you. We we need a high C who's a good programmer to figure out how to make it just spit out results. Maybe that's you. But go through it, and on each line, for each line, circle the one word that best describes you. Quick. Just, just make your quick decision. Don't think about it too much. Then when you get done, all through all 24 sets of words, go on the back, and there's a grid here that says A, B, C, or D. So if on the first one, if I, for my first set, if I pick careful, I'm going to go back on number one, I'm going to circle C. And I'm going to go through that whole thing. And then on the back, it doesn't show them here, but it's D-I-S-C, disc. Add up how many you've got in each column. And likely, not 100%, but likely that's your dominant style. And I'd be curious to compare what we just talked about with maybe what you see yourself to be here. You have a dominant style. You have a secondary style. Um, I've taken a little more advanced version of this. So here's an insight into who I am a little bit. And I think it's right on. 
Here's my personality style. I'm a high S off the charts S. It's my natural style. I'm, I'm a very low I. I'm not super outgoing. However, I, I'm kind of a split personality because I'm also a high D. <laughs> That's my secondary. I'm an SD, which would make me, a, according to some of these profiles, like more of a strategist, a, a, a conductor. Um, and so it's, it's weird how these work. You might think they work. And However, I also, in this profile, and we're going to be doing this, uh, Steve and Dan, Marilyn, we're going to do this as a staff this week again. We've done the basic one. But um, I have an adapted style where here's how I function in terms of ministry. If, if you want to know maybe how you relate to people at work, maybe take that survey, but think of it in terms of your relationships, not at home or in just everyday life, but just at work. How do you relate to people there? And, and I tend to compensate, and I force myself to be an I on Sunday mornings. You know what that means? And throughout the week, it means Sunday afternoon, I am wiped out because it's not my natural bent. It drains me. Some people, I tell them I'm an introvert. I'm more, I'm this, and they go, no way. Hang out with me on Sunday afternoon while I'm sleeping. You'll see. You have some adapted things, too. If you're interested in, in doing something more like this, you can. it costs some money, but it's uh, internalchange.com, and I think it's, it's pretty helpful, internalchange.com. But as we go, here's the book I told you about. Uh, it's from Moody Press, Ken Vogue's Ron Brand. I think it's, it's probably close to 20 years old now, but it's still very helpful. Um, I lent my copy to somebody a long time ago, so if you have it, um, that's okay. But let me know, and then we can pass it along to others if they're interested. Let me pray. Uh, we'll sing together, take our offering, call it a morning, and uh, let me pray. Um, Father, thanks for Jesus, and uh, thanks for your grace to us through him. Um, Father, again, a lot of information this morning, and uh, unique in, in the sense that we're not studying through a, a full passage of Scripture as we normally would, but, but still looking at your creativity, looking at your design, the ways that you've uh, in different ways uh, reflected your image in us. So I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd use that to encourage us that, that we're the way we are um, in large part because of how you've shaped us, in large part by your desire, by your will. And when we can understand that and understand who we are, it gives us freedom uh, to bring great glory to you, to worship you, to really truly love other people the way we ought to. And, and thereby fulfill all that you've commanded us to do by loving you and loving others. So I pray that for our church. Help us to understand who we are with the goal that it would help us understand one another in better ways and do ministry in more and more effective ways, bringing the gospel to people who need to hear it. And I close, Father, by praying for those who, who don't know you, who haven't put their faith in Jesus Christ and recognized um, their sin. I pray for them that, Holy Spirit, you'd work in their hearts, maybe even today, that they'd recognize their need for a Savior. They would turn, they would repent, and, and turn Jesus to you so that you would give them life and that, uh, that, that they would begin to live not just as your creation, as part of your design, but as your own child adopted into your family. I pray you'd begin that work or even finish that work in them today. Father, we love you. Uh, we look forward to a good week, and uh, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This time we'll...